Hey, here's what we're going to be doing today. We've been looking at the Psalms. I don't know how many of you had time to look at the Psalms uh, this week, but I hope you have. Uh, One of the things that I loved about what Christian preached on, and even last week, I was so angry at Jared. He's like preaching away. And if you were here last week, you know that point when he started to sing? The hair on my arm stood up. No, no, don't clap for him. At sermon prep, I said, dude, that was so good, but I will never be able to emulate that, man. (laughs) So don't worry, I'm not going to sing for you today, jerk. (laughs) So what we've been trying to do with the Psalms, though, the thing that I love about it, and the reason we're taking this summer just to kind of chill a little bit, is the Psalms, if you've been reading them with us, don't they just speak into every area of life? It's incredible they were written so long ago, but yet when you look at how they were written, you kind of sit there sometimes, don't you just nod in your head, going, oh my gosh, I feel like David or whoever wrote that particular psalm, they they get where I'm at right now. And I think no matter what, and especially the way we kind of lined it out for maybe you to read through the entire book of Psalms over the next couple months, is this this idea that you're going to go through all these different emotions. We started off, and it starts off in Psalm 1, it says, blessed, and the idea happy, truly content, satisfied is this one. And and then he goes on and he explains what that means. But today, I guess I'm going to take you from this idea of what it means to be truly happy. And I want to take you into one of the dark moments of David's life. Now, one of the things you got to understand about Psalms is the Psalm we're going to look at today is called a lament Psalm. It has within it this idea that it's, it's not at the beginning rosy and peachy. In fact, if you only read the first four verses of this, You'd leave the psalm going, what in the world? In fact, all the lament psalms, though, they finish on this up note. There's there's an idea in which suddenly into it's going to come this this idea that God is in control or he's doing something so I can take joy in whatever it is. But the lament psalms make up a third of all the psalms, so about 50 of them. And they walk through every gamut of emotion. They walk through despair. They walk through disappointment. They walk through deep sadness They walk through some of the deepest, darkest moments of where people are at. And I think sometimes we present Christianity, and I I probably have a fallacy in this. I'm always like, you know, turn that frown upside down, camper. But into it, there's just this dark, unvarnished reality of David's life. And I think for some Christians, we get uncomfortable with it. And the reason is, is because I think we live in like a Facebook Christianity. We put little things on our little Facebook page called our lives that kind of tells people either what we want them to see or what we ex- they think they want to see. And the beauty of the Psalms is, is it's not a Facebook thing. In fact, it dives into some of the deepest, lowest moments of their lives, and it shows their struggle with God. I think we, we have this idea that we're only supposed to be happy. We're only supposed to go through these emotions in which now everything is peachy. But when you study the life of David, this is a man that went through the ups and the downs, the valleys, all throughout his life. In this particular psalm we're going to be in, you can open up to Psalm 13. That's where we're going to be at today. It's a short one. It's, it's only six verses. And in these six verses, it just kind of collapses in, I would say, kind of almost a roadmap of how do I walk through difficulty in my life? How do I walk through trials? And it, it kind of then shifts into, oh yeah, if you want a Bible, we do believe in that. Uh, <laughs> if you want a Bible, raise your hand, the guys will, will bring around a Bible to you. There's one over there, I see that hand. 
Well, what it does is it condenses in this moment of David's life where he kind of exposes his heart, his relationship with God. Now, we're not sure of exactly where this particular psalm came from, but it's a little different than, than last week. Jared had this, did you use the word chiasm? I can't remember. Okay, people are going, chiasm? Shot a penicillin, I got rid of it. Um, <laughs> inverted parallelism, parallelism? That was brilliant. But he kind of showed how it all fit together, right? There was that main point in the middle of it. It was structured. This psalm is a little different in that it's kind of like free verse poetry. It's that feeling of he didn't really put it into this nice, neat structure. It kind of flows into kind of three main thoughts that he lays out. But it's not this neat, nicely packed thing. In fact, it kind of reflects the heart of a guy that's going through a difficult time. Now, in the difficulty, it could have been when early in his life, in his mid-20s, if you remember, he kind of ascended into this great place within the empire of, of Israel at the time. Saul, who was king, he put him in there as one of his main commanders and generals, and his job was to come in and, and to, to absolutely go in and be this phenomenal leader to take territory. Saul got, or Saul got annoyed by him, the king at that time, and says, I'm going to put him into the worst battles. And the hopes was, the hopes was, I'm from Wyoming. The hopes was, the, the hope was that in this, that David would get killed. When that didn't work, Saul's like, fine, I'll take care of this myself. And for the next about five, six years, Saul chased him around the empire. And in this, you're going to see in Psalm 13, David asked this question, how long, God? You can just see that potentially it was this moment in which he's running from Saul. He'd watched a lot of his friends that got killed in the middle of different battles that he was a part of. Saul tried to give him his daughter in marriage in the hopes that she would trip him up. And it finally culminated in which John, Jonathan, Saul's son, and even Saul died in front of David. And so we don't know if that was the low moment of his life. The thing is, is that while that could be it, I don't know if that was it. See, this psalm I don't think was written by a guy in his mid-30s. This psalm kind of has a feel of a guy that was a little bit older. So maybe it was... David, in his mid-50s, if you remember the story of his life, he gets caught up in an affair, an adulterous affair with this woman named Bathsheba, has a kid, the kid dies, and for the next 10 years, his life just spins out of control. A couple years after this happened, he has a son named Amnon that goes and rapes his half-sister Tamar. You can just imagine a dad sitting there going, what in the world's happening to my family? Her brother, her full brother, Absalom's like, no, I'm not going to take that at all. He decides to plot to kill Amnon, ends up murdering him. David, his dad, is watching his family as it falls apart. He kicks Absalom out of the family. Absalom then comes back and pleads with his dad, come on, dad, let me back into the kingdom, to the family. David says no. Absalom then plots to take over Israel, and he gets some of David's closest advisors and friends. He forms an army, gets the heart of the people, and you see this low moment in David's life, and when he's walking out of Jerusalem, defeated by his son. David's concubines, which we don't like to talk about in the Bible, but they were there. Absalom, literally the idea was, sleeps with them in front of the whole empire is this way of saying, I'm better than my dad. Kind of that little period, about 10 years into it, ends with his son Absalom dying at, the fr- at one of David's friend's hands, Joab. And in it, you just see the heartbreak of a dad. 
You see the heartbreak of a husband. You see the heartbreak of a king. Now the beauty of this, we don't know if that's when it was. And I think that's what makes this psalm so amazing. It allows you to kind of take your own life and import it into it. I hit a rough patch in my own life, (coughs) excuse me, of about two years in which, you know, it's not David, but I hit this patch in which my my parents got a divorce when I was in my late 20s. We were trying to have a kid. Finally, we think we're going to have a kid. My wife has a miscarriage. My grandparents that I was dear and close to, they die. And in this, I found this little Psalm 13, and I was able to kind of look at it and go, okay, I get that, dude. See, that's what's so cool about the Psalms, is we have these moments when Our boss is being a jerk, and we read that little part that says, and I will destroy all your enemies, and we're like, start with my boss. Just start with him, Lord. (laughs) We read about him celebrating, but also we hit those low moments in our life where all of a sudden, man, we go, David, I get you. And so what I want to do, just out of honor of the Lord, could we stand up? I want to read Psalm 13 just over you, and then we'll, we'll dive in and we'll look at this particular text. It says this, to the choir master, a psalm of David, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. God, would you help us today? Father, you've got a communicator that's imperfect and a bunch of people out there that hear imperfectly. So we need your spirit to do a work in us so that we might be different people in your precious name. Amen. All right, grab a seat. Now, one of the things that I I want you to notice in this particular psalm that's key to this is what changes in the psalm. Now, oftentimes what happens when we read a psalm, we see things like David say, deliver me, and God delivered me out of this. But in this particular psalm, we never see David's circumstances change, which, by the way, that's pretty real life. How often have we cried out to God, God, you know, save me out of this, doing a miraculous work, and in the middle of all of it, he never changes our circumstances. What's so great about this particular psalm, though, when you look down at it, is the only thing that got shifted was David's perspective. We don't see this rescuing out of anything. We don't see anything come to a resolution. There's no solution in the middle of all of it. But when you go from the beginning of the psalm to the end of it, suddenly everything shifted, not so much because God changed circumstances. He didn't change anything. What he changed was is David's perspective on what he was going to look at. And so what I kind of want to do is break this down and kind of just maybe ask this question, how do I look at life when I'm in the middle of difficulty? When the proverbial just everything hits the fan and everything's flying apart, how is it that I can look at this? And this is what we're going to do. We're kind of going to take an autopsy of this moment. And this is what David does. He kind of puts out in front of us and says, this is how you walk through a situation when it becomes difficult. Now, if you look down in this, and if you can just imagine for a second, he starts off with this statement, how 
long. Now, on some levels, we make David this fictionalized character, this dude that sits on a throne with a crown and killing people. You know, if you made a little Bible character, he'd be the guy with the sword cutting off Goliath's head, and that's who he was. But at this moment, if you've ever been there in your life before, you know you just sit there and you're broken. In fact, the word that he uses for how long is this Hebrew word, Adonah. It's an automatopoeia. I know you're surprised I can say that word, but I can't. It sounds like what it is. You know those moments when you just hit life, and you take in that deep breath, and then you just go, how long, God? Adonah, how long? He's broken. From the very start, you know this dude is broken. He's not the triumphant king that had killed all these Philistines. He's just a dude that's standing before God in honest perspective and just asks God quickly, how long? And he doesn't just ask it once. Look down in there. When you look at verses 1 through 2, he asks this question, Adonah, 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 Adonah. The idea is, is this thing has been going on for day after day and month after month and year after year. And God, I want to know how long is this going to take? He's not caught up in the intensity of the situation. He's asking God the question, how long is this going to take? In other words, I don't question your love at this particular point, but I am losing hope and I am losing trust. And if you don't enter into this thing, God, at this particular moment, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he just sits there. I don't know. That deep breath in, that deep breath out. And you can kind of look down, look down at verse 1 and 2. Where David is at is, and you can just see this in the text, he says, I, me, my soul, my heart, my enemy. In other words, in this particular moment where David is at, whether we like it or not, is he is focused on himself and he's just looking inward. And by the way, when problems hit you, you're the same way. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. The moment the kids kind of go off the deep end, God, I did everything right. I, 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 me, 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 me. I don't deserve this. What's, it just, you can see in David, in this honesty moment now, he's being open and honest with God. And his current state of mind is, is he is just focused on himself. And in fact, when you look down at verse 2, look at that. He says right now, I'm struggling with anguish in my soul. The literal translation is, is I just keep laying up counsel in my heart. The most dangerous place for any human to be is in their own head. Aren't we dangerous? We go into hypothetical world. If only I would have, if only I would have, or if he does this, then I'll do this, and if this, and then it's just this weird hypothetical world, and that's where David's at. He's just laying up counsel in his heart day after day, and he's caught in his head, and he's confessing to God, and this is this thing, and where he's at when he's trying to understand his trials is, is he's being honest with God and saying, God, I'm in my own head. 
He's come to him. He's tried to fix everything. You can even see in this, he's probably tried every strategy to try to fix everything. Don't we do that? Man, I'm that way. Whenever my wife sits down, for those of you out there that aren't married, I'm going to tell you something that will help you greatly. Your wife doesn't want you to solve the problem. She just wants you to listen. But I'm a problem solver. And so she comes in just to be honest with me about where she's at. And I'm like, well, I've got four points for you today, Lisa. (laughs) Point number one. We just instantly go into this fix-it mode. David had entered the fix-it mode and he had tried everything. And you can just tell this. He's stuck. He doesn't know what to do. In fact, I would say this is one of the things inside of our particular culture that's so interesting about who we are as people is that whenever you go in for counseling, one of the things that oftentimes like a counselor might suggest to you is, is you just need to find the answer within. Really? Because every time I get inside of there, it's icky. And I would say this, most people when they explain it to me, they say I'm just in a dark place because they're inside their head. David even tells us that, right? Once we get inside of us, what do we see? We see the only thing that's inside of there, which is it's a mess. We find out that inside of our heads that there is sin, there is sickness, there is there's these perspectives on life that are so skewed because we live inside of a fallen world. And David even comes to a point in, in, inside of verse 1, when if you look down in there, or excuse me, verse 2, when he says this, this statement, or verse 1, are you going to forget me forever? God, I've been in this, we've been going through it. And I would say this, that the moment we stay in our head too long, the first thing that comes after it is depression. We sit there. And we stew in it. And if you've ever been like me, laying in bed at night, and you're trying to solve every problem, soon you stay in that thing long enough and you get depressed. Now for some of us, we don't like the idea that David was depressed. Not David. You cannot read David and understand. This man was like this sometimes, right? Some of the Psalms, he's like up here, and then what happens? (sighs) And I think some of you out there are hearing me talk about depression suddenly and you're hearing me and you're hearing what I'm saying and the first thought in your head is is that God would never use people that battle with depression. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Our perspective might be skewed, but what happens inside of depression, especially for those that are followers of Jesus Christ, that are followers of God, is once we get in there and everything gets skewed, when we come to the end of ourselves and we don't know what to do with it, actually we are in the best spot we could ever be. In fact, inside of counseling, I'll sometimes look at them and say, my goal before I help you is to help you get really depressed. They look at me and they go, what? I go, because I don't think you're at the end of yourself yet. And until you get to the end of yourself, and this is where David was, is that while David is thinking, God, I don't know where you are, God was right in the middle of all of it. And what he was doing in the life of David is he was bringing him to the end of himself, not so that he could just work in David, but let me go a step further, but so that he could work through David. Can you imagine if Psalm 13 wasn't in the Bible? 
If all the Psalms were, were like, Hi, I'm Uncle David. Welcome to the Psalms. I mean, you'd be like, oh. That's not my life, right? But in it, God took him to this place. In fact, we find this out in Psalm 23. To the valley of the shadow of death. Why? He needed this for David to see because even there I am. Isn't that powerful? God works in spite of it. Now, some of you are very introspective people. I'm not. Like, everything flies on the surface with me. So when people get kind of down, I'm like, what's your problem? Everything's cool. Introspective people, though, like David, they go through the highs and the lows, and God uses them. And this is where God had him. Now, we may not like it that David was there, but that's where he was. And the thing that I love about it, and this is what I'd say when we get inward, the best thing that we can admit to God is that's where I'm at. God, on an honest level, that's where I'm at. But the thing that I love about him is he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just now stop within this moment and just sit there and stew in it. That's one of the mistakes I think we make where we're just like, woe is me, I'm never going to move. Suddenly David lifts his eyes and he gets less introspective and you start to see now he starts to look out over the particular situation that he's in. In order to deal with trials, not only is there kind of sometimes this flow of thought where I have to work through the inward stuff, but then I have to work through the outward stuff that's going on in my life. Now, oftentimes that happens most, like when you have people that will come in for counseling, all they can see is the outward stuff and all the problems that everybody else is, and that if they could just get rid of all their problems, they would be good. And you have to be able to take them and go, no, you're the problem. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. I mean, it's just this thing where it's like, oh. But for right now, here's David, and for the first time, he lifts up his eyes and he looks around. See, the second thing, if we're ever going to walk through trials, we're going to understand kind of how do I walk through these particular things. Not only do I have to deal with what's going on inside of me, but I've got to deal with and be honest with God and what's going outside of me. Now look what he says in there, in verse 3. He says, he moved from verse 1, which are you actually, God, are you there? To now he says to him, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. In other words, God I know I'm crying out to you. I know you're there. And then this is the first solution that he gives to God. God, here's what we're going to do in my particular situation. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now, on one level, we might think he's not really a drama queen. David's maybe a drama king here. God, I'll die. The other night, my son, I'm sitting there, or my daughter, excuse me, she walks up to me. She goes, Dad, I'm so hungry. If you don't feed me, I'm going to die. That's not David. More than likely, he'd been chased to the point of exhaustion. And he's telling God, God, I'm done. I'm looking at things around me, and I'm just flat out done. Now, what I want to do to kind of build my point is to create a contrast in this idea of how we see things from the outside. One of the stories that all of us know is when David was the little shepherd boy, right? He goes to visit his brothers, and there's Goliath, and he says, man, he looks around and goes, why is nobody standing up against this uncircumcised Philistine? Do you not know the God that we serve? He goes down, and he grabs the stones, and he grabs his sling, and he defeats the giant. And we look at that David, and we're like, ah. Now we see Psalm 13 in this guy. 
See, the first thing that we have to understand when we're going through trials is that success in our past does not mean success in our present. And not only that, but here's the second thing to learn out of it when we're looking at external circumstances. Sometimes trials just keep coming at us to such a length that we're just fatigued. We're worn out. We're tired. They just keep hammering and hammering and hammering. In fact, that little statement that he says in there, light up my eyes, isn't that he's asking so much for spiritual enlightenment. It's kind of what happened when, when Jonathan went and tipped it. He dipped his tip inside of some honey and he ate some honey and it says his eyes lit up. In other words, David is saying to God, God, do you want to fix this problem? Then you're going to have to give me the energy to walk through this problem. You need to light up my eyes, to which God must have been sitting there going, oh, okay, that's nice, David. The next one he looks at then is his enemies. Verse 4, he says, Lest my enemies say I prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. God, here's the two things that you need to do to change this circumstance. If we're really going to get through it, you need to do two things. You need to give me the energy, and then you've got to take care of these people. That's what you need to do. In order for this problem to be solved, God, this is what needs to happen. To which God must have been sitting there going, that's nice, David. See, oftentimes you'll sit there and I've prayed over people that have had cancer thinking, God, you've got to solve this problem. They can't die. God, you've got to save this marriage. You don't understand. For about three years, I begged God to save my parents' marriage. I mean, I would go in some nights and I would sit there with my basketball inside of a gym and I would talk to God, God, what are you doing? Do you understand? If they get divorced, if you don't heal their marriage right now, if you don't fix this, don't you understand that you're going to look bad, God? Fix this thing for your name. All the while, God's going, Todd, I think so much bigger than you. I'll go ahead and take them through the valley of the shadow of death because while God hates divorce, he loves growing people in their understanding of God. See, in this, it's David going, God, let me tell you how to fix this problem. I was reading a, a blog the other day. If you've ever been on a blog, they're the truest places on earth. Everything they say on them is true. But actually, I agreed with this one. There was a guy, and he was writing about dealing with cancer. And he said this. He said, I'm reaching a really strange place, it seems to me, where I'm becoming okay with having cancer. It's not a fight I'll stop, mind you. I prayed and I asked fervently for healing in the past five years. And honestly, I wonder if I should have been praying for complete trust in God instead. It's like getting put on a roller coaster. You'll get jerked around, go up and down, maybe even do a barrel roll. But when you're praying for it to be over, it's not like the ride is just going to stop and let you off. There's a course you have to run, a track you have to go on. You have to have faith that the designer of the ride went to school, got an engineering degree, did all the right math, etc., etc., and that the ride, despite being scary as all get out, is going to bring you to the end in one piece. This analogy isn't perfect. Don't take it too far, dot, dot, dot. The point here is that I'm on a course that God has set me on. Do I like it? Would I choose it again? Would I give it to anyone else? 
Does it even matter what I think? I told God many times in many places from camp to camp and service to service, God, send me. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll obey you. I was thinking the end of the world, not cancer. This is God saying, okay, here's a lesson in trust. So do you trust me? I thought he just nailed it. God wasn't looking for David's solutions in this. He was asking the simple question of David, do you trust me? That's the biggest question we can answer, isn't it? God, do I trust you right now? Now what's so miraculous about this, when you look down at verse 5, is suddenly there's a big but. I think in a lot of ways, if you read verses 1 through 4, the modern psychologist would probably say, hmm, David must be bipolar. But David suddenly hits what in counseling we call the spiritual breakthrough. It's a miracle. You sit there with a person and they're battling back and forth about who's God and and what is he about and what's he doing right now. Does he understand what he's doing? Does he understand that now's not a good time for my child to die? Does he understand that now's not a good time for me to have cancer? Does he understand that really I was scheduling through my life and right now divorce is just not a good option for me? Does God understand that to which the Bible constantly looks at his people and asks this question, Do you trust me, no matter what? And what's so cool, and we don't know why it happened, it's supernatural. Suddenly David writes these words, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. I wish I could tell you I knew how that happened in David. I never know sometimes why somebody changes A year ago, I was counseling a guy, and I sat down with him, and I thought, man, I nailed that counseling appointment. I thought for sure at the end of it, I was going to look at him and say, now with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, nobody caring about your neighbor. If you want to change right now, just raise your hand. He looked back at me and said, I want nothing to do with it. I prayed, and I prayed, and I'm here to confess to you, I gave up on that sucker. I'm like, man, I even said to somebody, only God can save him. What an ignorant statement. No, duh. (laughs) I didn't see him for about two months. I got back together with me, calls me up. He's like, hey, can we get together? And I even said to my my assistant, I said to her, I said, oh, gosh, I got to go meet with this guy. He is such a loser. I said those words. Don't laugh. Nobody wants to come to counseling now. I'm not going to go to Todd. (laughs) I just talk about you when you're not there, not to your face. Gossip is a completely different thing. We sat down. And have you ever looked in somebody's eyes after they've changed? He was just lit up. And I said, how are you doing? And then I had to sit there for 45 minutes as he unpacked the salvation of God in his life. I said, what happened, man? He goes, oh, it wasn't you. It was another guy I talked to. 
I rebuked him. He said, I was at the gym, and I was sitting there talking to a guy, and he started sharing with me some different things, and all of a sudden, Todd, it was like a ton of bricks hit me, and it all came together. Now, in that, we might sit and look at that and go, oh, it was all these wonderful things that people put in front. Let me tell you something, it was. It was all those wonderful truths But the thing about yourself and walking through people is you do not dictate the time frame when God changes a life. God does. And with that, what happens is, is that that's what David's talking about. He, who knows how long he wrestled with this? It could have been 10 years. He's battling back and forth. And all of a sudden, in the quietness of his heart, maybe he'd been talking with Abishai, maybe he'd been talking with one of his friends. And all of a sudden, he sat there and he landed on this truth. And the idea of trust here is this idea that God, literally, I trust that he has me. My situations don't have me. I don't have me. Is the idea is, is that God has me. And then he even takes a little step further in verse 5. I have trusted, he said, in your steadfast love. That word steadfast is so hard to translate. It's this, it's this word that we, even inside of everybody that tries to translate this word, we can't get it because it takes so much to explain this word. It speaks of a faithfulness of God. See, in it, you can just see David going, God, I quit. I'm done. And one of the ideas behind this word, steadfast love, is that while David quit, God didn't. David saying to God, God, I want out of this. I don't know what I'm going to do. Steadfast love says, I understand what's going on in the giant scheme of things. And David, I'm in charge. It's David sitting there maybe looking back at God going, you know, I kind of deserve what you're giving me. I kind of deserve this thing to be fixed. It's the understanding inside of steadfast love. I don't deserve anything whatsoever. David didn't. But yet here's a God that loves us in spite of it. It's a faithful God that says, David, even when you quit, I don't. What I started, I will finish. And when you think about the gigantic scheme of things and this God that David understood, what God started way back in Genesis, nothing can stop him. And it goes from the cosmic level clear down to the individual level. And it was that moment where David now could care less about all of his circumstances, could care less of all the things going on around him, and even could care less about himself because all he saw was a God that said, David, I've got it. I got it. Now, isn't that, though, hard to see when you're in the middle of the trial? Sometimes we'll sit around. Those of you doing well right now will go, well, what's the problem? Sure, Jesus loves us. Everything's honky-dory. The person in the middle of it, though, goes, but God, I don't see that. It's the miraculous nature of God to allow you to see who he is in the middle of a situation and to get it. It's the miraculous work of God that says, you're right, you can't save it. The next thing is is that God says, but I can save this. It's the miraculous nature of God that says, not only do I have you, not only am I going to save you, but right after that, David says, so I'm going to sing. Isn't that weird? 
But have you ever been in those moments? I'm not even a musical person. I really don't even like music. But those moments where all of a sudden you're like, Jesus loves me. And you just all of a sudden you start to sing. Why? Because all of a sudden the heart and words can only be expressed in song. Now with this, let me just say this. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, this doesn't apply to you. It only applies to those that know Jesus Christ, that know what he did, the work on the cross, the amazing tomb, the fact that he's coming back one day. This promise is for all of you in here. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ right now, even if you're in the midst of the lowest depression, whether you feel it or not, God's faithful love has you and he will have you to the very end. Nothing you can do or anyone else can do can stop this. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I would say today is the day to encounter the God of steadfast love. If you need prayer today, We'll have people up here praying. Maybe you're one of those people that I'm talking to. You're in the midst of just the guck and the muck. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're somebody that wants to get baptized today. I don't know if you're at this service. I got two texts today saying they're going to baptize somebody. So you want to get baptized? Come forward. We'll baptize you. And I say this a lot. Let me say it once more. And I hope you never get sick of hearing what I'm going to say. God wins. Nothing can stop him. We may die. We may go through cancer. We may go through the ups and the downs of life, but our God is unstoppable. Amen? Amen? All right. God, would you please help us today? All of us are at different spots. Maybe we aren't in the middle of difficulty of life, but Father, we know somebody. I pray that as we interact with people right now, that God, we wouldn't move hastily trying to get people to love God, trying to get people to believe in him, but instead, Father, we would walk with people as they work through inner turmoil, outer turmoil, all the junk going on in their life. Father, believing that we can't change people, but you can. God, I pray you would give to those in the middle of battling through difficulty a new song. Father, allow them in the middle of it as they gain a greater image of who you are to move from from absolute sympathy and sadness to singing and joy. God, not because you've maybe changed their circumstances, not because you've changed all the things that they think they need to be changed, but God, instead, because you have changed their perspective and reminded them that you are God and you are king and your love for them is unstoppable. God, would you do that miracle in our lives today? In your precious name we pray, amen.